Hello and welcome to Who Puts That with Harrison Greenbaum. I'm your host, Harrison Greenbaum. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this is, as always, sponsored by the International Brotherhood of Magicians. If you're not already a member, uh, you can just sign up so easily. You just go to magician.org slash join the IBM slash join, and you can sign up right now. I know it's been a crazy and difficult week for everybody, so I hope you're all safe and well, and I hope I can bring a little uh, levity to your evening tonight. Unbelievably, we're already at episode 18, which means Who Books That is now old enough to vote. Uh, all episodes are available at whobookstat.com as well as on Apple Music as a podcast where the show is in the top 200 in the performing arts for the US and the UK as well as the top 100 in Canada. So thanks, Canada. I don't know why the show is slightly more popular north of the wall, but I'll take it, eh? I'll, I'll chug some maple syrup for you guys, whatever you whatever you want. Thanks for supporting the show. And I uh, am so excited about this one. Oh my God. Um, our guest tonight, uh, I have uh, been a fan of since I was a child. As a kid who grew up on Nickelodeon, I would watch endless reruns of Double Dare, Family Double Dare, What Would You Do? In fact, the theme song to What Would You Do? It slaps and was my jam. And I'll play a little taste of it now. What, 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 what would you I mean, that's my jam. That's the greatest. Um, I also found out recently that Mark Summers, who was born Mark Berkowitz, was actually a stand-up comedian and magician before he was a TV host or executive producer. He's a Jewish boy who combines magic and stand-up, which means we're essentially entertainment twins, except despite him being 30 years older, he somehow has more hair than I do. I don't know how that's possible, but make some noise. Get excited from your apartment or home. It's Mark Summers, everybody. Hello. Oh, yeah. I, I apologize for my hair. I have COVID hair. I haven't had it cut in three months, and it looks like my <laughs> my sideburns look like earmuffs now. And uh, it looks like somebody blew my head up. So uh, I apologize, but I'm just doing uh, the the socially correct thing right now. No, no, I love it actually because uh, I've been digging through archive uh, photos of you, and your hair is going back to its original uh, form, uh, which I think like that. That's <laughs> it. You know, I look a little like like Norm Nielsen though, don't I? The way he used to look, you know, with his hair back. Yeah, it's very refined. Interesting stuff. That, that's a frightening picture. That was uh, my first uh, commercial uh, shots that I ever did here in Los Angeles when I was uh, just trying to make a living. I was about, I'm trying to think how old I was there, maybe 23, 24 years old. Oh, my. Look at that bow tie. You know who I bought that bow tie with? Peter Pitt. Remember Peter Pitt? Yes, absolutely. He was uh, influential in getting me uh, started at the Magic Castle, and he wore big bow ties, which was the fashion back in the early 70s, and uh, I believe that was a green one, and uh, Peter uh, bought that with me. That's amazing. I found a whole bunch of them. This was you, I think, purchasing stuff at a supermarket? <laughs> yeah, no, just one of those silly, uh, you know, uh, photographer goes into a grocery store, has you take a picture like you're uh, working there, so that when they send these uh, these pictures out to various advertisers, they go, oh, yeah, he, he can work at a grocery store kind of thing. So, yeah, that's what that was all about. I love it. You also have that look where you have to like pretend you didn't know the camera was there. Like, what? A photo session? I was very green in those uh, days. And when I look at these pictures now, I actually was better than I thought I was. I, I thought I looked uh, horrible, but uh, uh, different looks is what they're looking for. And then I definitely have a different look there. No question. No, I love it. I mean, let's go all the way back. You were, you were in Indianapolis in Indiana. Um, you have uh, you're a family of uh, three, I believe. You, uh, yeah, my brother Mike, who is a musician, who has uh, conducted for Marvin Hamlish, uh, been on the road with uh, Liza Minnelli and everybody in between. Yeah, there it is. So that's my brother Mike, and uh, down there is my sister Lori. She lives in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and my brother lives in New York. 
and he still conducts the orchestras all over the world. And that's always funny because sometimes I tell people I'm a magician and they say musician. And so your family where that must be very confusing. It was, it really was. Was, were your parents into the arts? How did they end up with at least two kids uh, in the entertainment field? It is the strangest thing. Uh, no, my dad had a grocery store. We had the largest supermarket in the state of Indiana for a while, Berkey Supermarket in 920 West Michigan Street in Indianapolis. And then uh, Indiana University came in and did that eminent domain thing. So that's my grandmother. That's my dad's uh, mom. And she's holding me. And then that's my brother down there. Uh, wow. Where did you find these things? That's insanity. Um, and so... Uh, after the store got closed, he went into the insurance business. <laughs> oh, you're scaring me. And um, I might have spoken um, to your brother before this. I have the inside track. <laughs> oh, did you really? You called Mike? Absolutely. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And so, um, so anyway, that, uh, so no, my brother and I grew up watching TV. We were addicted to television. And uh, I guess at the time, our favorite show was the Steve Allen show. And uh, it, it, my brother and I have the exact same sense of humor. Uh, which is interesting. And it's very similar to Dave Letterman's, who grew up in Indianapolis uh, same time, and we watched the same programming. And I think our senses of humor were definitely colored uh, by Steve Allen and then uh, Johnny Carson on Who Do You Trust in the early days. And when, and when, was Magic the first thing that sort of bit you? Was it comedy first, then Magic, or Magic, then comedy? Well, you know, um, I wanted to perform. I came out of the womb knowing that I needed to be on stage, but how the hell do you do that in, in Indiana? And uh, we had a kid down the street, Dave Lawton, who was in the West Lane Junior High Magic Club. And uh, for some reason, at age 11, when I was in like sixth grade, he started teaching me magic. And then I got in the magic club at West Lane uh, when I was in seventh grade. I was the president in eighth and ninth grade. And that's where I started to perform. I was a trombone player in the orchestra, but I wasn't making any money. And then I realized I could do a birthday party back in the day for 25 bucks. And all of a sudden, you know, if I did four of them on a weekend, I had $100. I couldn't make any money playing a trombone back in the day. So um, I quit the band. My um, Mr. Axum, uh, the band director, got upset with me. But uh, Chet Cubitt, who was in instrumental in starting me as a performer, uh, got me into the magic world. And I always liked comedy. Uh, I would watch Johnny in the early days of The Tonight Show sneak uh, back down after my parents went to sleep. And, um, you know, I think taking over The Tonight Show was the ultimate goal. Guess what? That didn't happen. Uh, but magic was the way that got me from point A to point B. And there was a guy who had a, a thing called the Dante Magic Set. Not the real Dante, but a guy <laughs> who was an insurance salesman somewhere in New York State put out these things called the Dante Magic Set. And somehow I tracked him down and said, can I be your spokesperson? And he said, kid, you can do whatever you want, but I'm not paying you. So I called <laughs> back in the day, there were a million uh, kid shows. And I called every station that had every kid show and talked myself on to, you know, be the spokesperson for that, but then do magic. And the last show I did was called Popeye and Janie. And Janie said, do you have anything else besides just this magic set? And I said, sure. So for the next couple of years, from the time I was 11 till 14, I was a regular on this kid's show doing magic. And you mentioned uh, Chet Cubitt. Um, he was, uh, I think you met him in fifth grade? I actually met him, whoa, wow, you did your research. Uh, my brother was working on a project because uh, he was in junior high and he slept me along one Saturday. And that's where I met Chet. And uh, little did I know that uh, we would become friends from fifth grade till now when I'm a whopping uh, 68 years old. He's, he's an amazing guy. Yeah, when was the last time you spoke to him? Uh, well, I have a feeling I'm gonna speak to him now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if I was being subtle enough, but I believe Chet Cuban is in the house, baby. Hey, there he is. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing well. Uh, apparently, the razor blade business hey. is not doing well in Indiana. 
you did, you did not recognize me when you walked by the green room and looked inside and you didn't see me. You didn't. <laughs> Where are you? At, are you at uh, 9252? Yes, I am. Are what a really? memory. What a memory. I, know. I, I remember, man. I was Chet would uh, work at a place, uh, a thing called the a Trary Prec every summer. And uh, and I would take care of his house. I would cut his lawn and then we would rake leaves and we built fences together and all that stuff. But the bottom line was there was a thing called the Columbus Magi Fest. Yeah. And uh, Chad and I and a group of other magicians as kids would go to this thing. And uh, it, it was my first taste of magic where I met, uh, you know, Duke, Crandall, uh, Duke uh, Stern was like embedded in my mind. I sat and watched a, a show with Jack Shannon one night. Um, and it, it was my early years. Years of, of magic, and and this man right here is responsible for all that. Yeah, and Chet was telling me we did some digging into his records. Uh, I spoke to Alexander, the president of IBM, who's been a great uh, 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 supporter of this show. And Chet, yeah. is, uh, this uh, today, today is June. He has hit his sixty fourth year in a row with the IBM, which is the Order of Merlin Excelsior. So sixty four years in the Mazel International Mazel. Brotherhood of Magicians. <laughs> when was the last time you did a show, Chet? Uh, a pretty long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe when we were in in I don't know it was been a long time. <laughs> Generally, we worked on the I think it was the sixty six or sixty seven uh, IBM uh, convention in Indianapolis, and uh, I have great memories of that whole situation and and learned a lot uh, as well. And and it's where I met a guy by the name of Steve Warren who uh, was a disc jockey and he wanted to be a magician, so. Uh, I taught him magic and he got me on the radio. So that was my first step into broadcasting, you know? Uh-huh. Very good. Yeah. And Chet, what did you see in a young Mark that made you think he might be interested in magic? He, well, he could follow directions very well. <laughs> <laughs> About certain things. Not when it has the shop. Okay, wood shop, I was not very good. But uh, <laughs> I, I somehow he passed me because I think he was feeling sorry for me. But uh, but we had fun doing magic together. No, it was, we did. I mean, he, he was uh, a fun guy. A fun, fun, fun person. And I uh, had a brother uh, who was a juggler. So how did that happen? How did, how did you <laughs> get into juggling? Well, my brother, you mean? Yeah. Oh, uh, he wanted to have something to do while he was on an island in, in the Pacific. Really? <laughs> yeah, he was stuck there in the Coast Guard. So he picked up some stuff and he started practicing and that's all he had to do. That's amazing. By the way, somebody in the audience said, we stand chat. Do you know what stand means? Scan? Stand. No. We stand chat. That means they love you. No, no, I didn't. Ah. Know. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> we, didn't know. we don't know what that stuff means. Do you remember this picture? Oh, wait a minute. Show me, show me. Can oh, you bring that a little lower? There we go. Okay, now let me tell you a, a horrible story here. So Chet and I go up to, uh, I think it was uh, Ring 42, the Harlan Tarbell Tar Ring. Uh, up in Chicago to do a show. I don't know why we were doing a show, but um, I, I did uh, the birdcage up there, scared out of my mind because Jay Marshall was sitting like right in front of me. Uh, but then uh, I produced some goldfish, but the goldfish had died on the way up because it was cold. So somebody told us <laughs> no. we that if you take carrot strips and, and you put them in the water, they'll float. And when you hold them up, they look like fish. And the problem was I was moving the, the bowl and it looked like the fish were swimming backwards. So uh, that was <laughs> my behalf. But uh, That sounds like its own uh, magic trick. I'd be very impressed to see the backwards swimming fish. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, we, uh, we Chad Hefty, I did a whole show based on uh, pet shops, uh, and he we built this uh, the, this ringer thing where you have, you know squeezed out the skunk and made him disappear, and he built me sets and. I mean, unbelievable. I think about it, Chet. I, I met you when I was 10. I'm 60, 58 years I've known this man. Oh, for goodness sakes. Yeah. <laughs> He'd already been a member of the IBM for six years. At that point, yeah. How's your knee, by the way? You what? How's your knees? How's your legs? Oh, oh uh, fine. I'm, I'm doing real great now. Are you back yeah. hiking? I feel great. I'm plucky. <laughs> <laughs> I and love that word. Just so you know how much Chet loves you, uh, he and I worked for uh, multiple hours to make sure he could get on here um, and have his computer working. So he was very dedicated to getting on this. So he, uh, a, a huge shout out to Chet. I don't know anything hey, about Chet, do you have any pictures of me in that crystal casket? Do you remember when we did that? Do you have any crystal casket pictures there? Crystal? No, uh, no. I thought I thought you took them when you were here uh, for that interview. <laughs> Maybe I did. I might have told them. Yeah, it sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Well, oh, so, yeah. oh no, I you yeah. know I do have one, but but it, it's, it's it's faded. It looks it doesn't look very good, but it shows somebody producing you from the crystal casket. Well, I'm faded, and I don't look very good anymore either. So it's it works out about this. <laughs> now, who is uh, Bob uh, Hazlip? Yes, in Bob Hazlip. Yeah. He yeah. lives in St. Louis, and then Mitch Engel, uh, who's up in Chicago. We all did magic together. It was unbelievable. And, and yeah. you, now you went several times to uh, to the to uh, Columbus, Ohio, to the Magi Fest, right? We went to the Magi Fest from the time I was in seventh grade. I think we went all the way until I was a senior. And the little little trick we used to play as magicians: the way it worked was Chip can only take like five kids um, each year, so he. He would pull names out of a hat, and whoever those five kids were, that's who went. But he rigged it every year that magically he would pull my name. Because we had so much fun. Because Chet and I, in the middle of the day, think about this. You couldn't even do this stuff today. But he would leave the kids in the hotel, and you and I would go down to uh, General Grant's uh, magic shop down there uh, on High Street in Columbus. Remember that? Yes. And we'd walk down there and hang out with him. And the kids were all by themselves in the in the hotel and going to the dealer shows and all that stuff. It's and a different world. Just it was a whole no different problem. world. No problem no. at all. Everything worked out fine. Yeah. Wow. And and Chet, it must be pretty crazy, crazy to see somebody that you you know you've met in fifth grade and then go on to such gigantic success. What has that been like watching that that ride? Was it surprising, or did you kind of know from the beginning that he'll be uh, where he is today? Oh, I, I didn't know where he'd be, but I knew that he would be someplace. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That would have been that. That would be a perfect prediction. There's no way to get that one wrong. No, I know. I'm. That, I'm uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I. No, I knew. I knew. I'll tell you one other story. Uh, Chet so, takes me to the uh, international convention in Des Moines, Iowa. And we went with a guy. Do you remember Bill Shabler? Do you remember that guy? Bill, Bill Shabler? And, and and so yeah, do you remember that kid? I think yes, that was his Shabler. name. And, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. we we him. And so uh that was the first time I saw Albert Goshman. He had a little room off to the side, you pay him twenty five or fifty bucks and he would do the show for you. But uh Bill Shabler and I <laughs> uh, just, bought like, balloon from the side, just you would give him cash and he would do close up. Yeah, honest to God, that's how he started. And he was called uh 
Baker Faker, because he used to make bagels, and he was called Baker Faker. But Bill Shabler and I uh, went to this place that was selling balloons at the uh, dealer show, and we filled up the balloons and was dropping them out of the hotel window. I don't know if you remember this, Jet. I do. And, I remember and, that. I got in trouble for that. Yes. And, and, and then one day we filled the entire bed with balloons, and they broke. And I had one of those things called magic fingers where you put in a quarter and massage, and they were afraid we were going to be electric. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, my God. I'm bringing back all these horrible memories. <laughs> what can I tell you? No, I live amazing. Chet, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to stick around, we'll try to get you back towards the end, too. Uh, thank you so much for, for all the effort you did. Hey, good good seeing you. This guy who's now inspired so many. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. That was a nice surprise. Thank you so much, Chat. And by the way, uh, somebody in the comments said you should come back to Magic Fest. This is to everyone, both Chat. Uh, so, Chat, uh, Dan Scott wants you back at Magic Fest. Who does? Some guy named Dan. Hopefully, he's a nice guy. Dan. <laughs> he wants us back. We should come back and do a reunion. There you go. But thank you again, Chat. We really appreciate it. Um, and let's talk a little bit about. Uh, so now you're in Indianapolis. You moved to Los Angeles. Um, are you are you combining your stand up and magic? Is it a comedy magic act, or are you going back and forth between stand up at the comedy store and magic at the castle? No, I I, w I went to Boston first. I went to college for two years in Boston, and um, met a guy by the name of Paul Fusco, who uh, is the creator of Alf, by the way. And so Paul and I, Paul was a magician, and I was a magician. So we did magic together, and then I would do uh, sororities on weekends uh, to uh, make money, um, and uh, and uh, and meet girls. Quite honestly, and um, then I moved to LA in 1973. My brother was playing drums for Helen Reddy, so I moved in with him temporarily till I found my own place. And um, the the December before I moved out in June, I had gone to the castle with Paul Fusco and met a magician uh, by the name of Peter Pitt who created the dancing cane and had won uh, FISM and all that stuff. And he said, uh, you should move out here. And I said, I'm going to. He said, well, call me. And so I called Peter when I moved out and uh, he was nice enough to help me build an act. I, I met him, uh, came back out in June. And I think by August, I had become a regular at age 22 at the Magic Castle. It was much easier to get in there back in the day. We would do 28 shows a week, uh, four a night, uh, seven nights a week for $145, if you can believe that. And I was happy to have it. I was a page at CBS Television City. And um, I was doing mostly magic, but I wanted to do stand-up. And uh, there were two people who used to introduce us at the castle. The first one was Don Lawton who I idolized as a kid. I thought Don Lawton was the funniest human on the planet and uh, Senator C Crandall. And I became very close with Clark Crandall. And uh, he pulled me aside one day and said, uh, I was still Mark Berkowitz. And he said, Berkowitz, get rid of the crap and start figuring out your act. And so he helped weed out the really horrible stuff I was doing. And I started to slowly put more comedy than magic. Well, back in the day at the Magic Castle, they didn't like that. And uh, I tell you, the person who disliked me the most, Di Vernon, hated my guts. And uh, it's an honor to be performing hated by a man like that. <laughs> what, what's that? I said it's it's an honor to be hated by a man like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> Vernon hated me. In fact, um, one night I had a heckler, and I used a line that he didn't like. He got me thrown out of the castle for like a month, and I had to write a letter to get back in and whatever. But I was starting to transition and do more comedy than magic, and the castle was not a, not happy with me. So I started auditioning at the uh, comedy store in 1976 and became a regular the summer of 76. 
and I was there. I started when uh, Jay Leno, uh, Robin Williams, uh, Dave Letterman, Shandling, we all started right about the same time. And it was that summer of 76, 77, uh, when all those guys started to build their acts. And, and I became a regular at that point. So I was doing less magic and more comedy. And I actually have a clip from Celebrity Review, which was a late night television show that you did both comedy and magic on. Uh, so let's roll that. Carol and people, ladies and gentlemen at home, here's a young man who leads a double life. He was and is a successful comedy writer on famous TV shows like Truth or Consequences, Celebrity Sweepstakes, it's a difficult word to say. And he's also making his mark, so to speak, in the world of comedy magic. Here is young Mark Berkowitz. <laughs> Same wow. out of hair, still killing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was scared out of my mind, but that was a big break for me. Uh, Peter was very nice to put me on that show. And one of the things that was amazing was, so I, I, I'm somebody also doing stand-up comedy and magic, and I had never seen a clip before that one of somebody walking out and essentially doing stand-up, taking a bow, and then the host joined you and you did magic. How, how, how did you navigate sort of that relationship? Were the comics distrustful of a magician? Were the magicians distrustful of a comedian? How do you keep that? How do you keep that? You know divide? Okay. I, I had um, I had no fear. So I just kind of did what I thought should be done. The person who made the big transition for me, quite honestly, uh, do you remember a comedian by the name of Gallagher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was uh, opening for Gallagher at a place called... Uh, where was it? It was in Newport Beach, and I can't remember the name of the club. But anyway, I was opening for him, and I was doing magic. And he said, uh, hey, Summers, come here. And I said, yeah. And he says, uh, how much are they paying you this week? And I said, I think it was 300 bucks for the week. He goes, oh, you're uh, I can't say because we're trying to give you a name. <laughs> but he called me a horrible name. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, you're a novelty act. As soon as you walk out there with cards and cut and rope, you make less money than the comics. So if I were you, I'd get rid of the cards and do stand-up. And so when I found out that the stand-up opener acts were getting 500 and as a magician, I was getting 300, I said, that's it for me. And that's kind of when I made the transition to get rid of the props and just do, uh, just do stand-up. And when did you shift from Berkowitz to Summers? Because it, it seems like you made that change after you'd already been on TV. Uh, I woke up one morning and they said, we found the son of Sam. His name is David Berkowitz. It was about eight o'clock in the morning on uh, watching Good Morning America. My agent called me and he goes, holy Christ, nobody knows who you are anyway, but you're going to have to change your name. I won't be able to get you a job anywhere. And so um, I didn't know what to change my name to. And uh, I thought of a million different things, but there was a DJ in Indianapolis by the name of Dick Summer. He's still around, actually. Uh, does a thing called the Love and Touch. And uh, then he moved to Boston. When I was going to school in Boston, I ran into him. And I took Dick Summer and added an S, it became Mark Summers. And it, it was a turning point because there's no more anti-Semitic people in show business than other Jews. Uh, <laughs> and I just found that to be the case. And uh, I remember a friend of mine stand up, his name was Marty Cohen, and he was on a uh, match game. And he went into Mark Goodson and said, I want to host a game show. And they went with a guy uh, with a name like Cohen, you'll never work in the Midwest, it'll never happen. And you know, back in the 70s, they were still concerned about ethnicity and stuff. So uh, it was a weird thing. I went from Mark Berkowitz to Mark Summers and I started to work. So who knows what that's about? Yeah, I I, uh, I don't know if I told this story on this show before, but I when I was entering into stand-up, I was going to change my name out of Greenbaum. And my dad played the... Uh, your grandparents didn't survive the Holocaust for you to be ashamed of Greenbaum. I was like, it's really more so that people will book me more. And he goes, well, Sarah Silverman didn't change her name. Uh, and after I worked with Sarah the first time, I told her the story and she said, tell your father it cost me a shit ton of work. 
It does. It just you know, it did back then. I don't think it does now, but I I, I would have agreed. Uh, but you went from stand up and magic, and all of a sudden, uh, Double Dare comes along. There's no way you can know at that point that it would be sort of a cultural mainstay. That it would be for many people what they think of like when they think of their childhood. Yeah, that is uh, still a phenomenon to me in so many different ways, uh, and it's lasted uh, for many, many uh, years. Needless to say, uh, we started the show in 1986, and it's still uh, very topical here in 2020. And, um, you know, I had one foot out the door. I was doing warm-ups on TV shows. I was called the king of warm-ups. I was doing Star Search and Alice and What's Happening Now and uh, Webster. And, I mean, I, I was I was making a boatload of money but miserable. <laughs> And I had a friend from Cape Town, South Africa, uh, Lawrence Milner, who had this amazing smoked salmon business, uh, <laughs> largest distributor in the entire continent of Australia. He was on the Harris of I assume if you're in smoked salmon, Berkowitz is great. That would have worked. And so um, <laughs> I started to sell, smell a smell. Yeah, I used to do smell smoked salmon, but I've started to sell smoked salmon. And, um, and I get a phone call from a friend of mine, Dave Garrison, who was originally from Indianapolis and uh, had moved to L.A. and got the phone call to audition for Double Dare. And at that time, he was sick of trying to become an act, and he called me and said, look, I got a phone call from some network I've never heard of called Nickelodeon. They're doing a game show called Double Dare. I don't know what that is. Uh, I'm going to start producing. You should go instead of me. And they had auditioned a 1,000 people in New York and didn't like any of them. I was the first person to audition in L.A. So they had auditioned 2,000 people, yeah, uh, from the early years. And, uh, and I got the job, and the way I got it was interesting. It was narrowed down to me and one other guy, and they couldn't figure out. Because when we did the auditions, um, we were working with adults playing the part of kids, and they didn't know how good we were with kids. And I said, well, why don't you fly us to the studio in New York, put us with real kids, and let the best man win? And that's what happened. I still don't know who the other guy was, but they flew him to New York, me to New York. I did a half-hour version. He did a half-hour version. Two days later, they called me, and, I said, and they said, you got the job. And I said, you know, after 2,000 people, why me? And they said, well, quite honestly, the other guy was just about the same, you know, quality as you were. But at the end of his audition, he looked at the camera and said, is that it? You guys want me to do anything else? And I looked at the camera and I said, we'll be back with more Double Dare right after this. And the fact that I threw the commercial, <laughs> they thought it was more professional. And that's how I got the job and it changed my life. That is unbelievable. And uh, you went on from Double Dare. You had What Would You Do? Um, did uh, One of the things I was reading about uh, what you thought the specialness of Double Dare was. And it seems to me there is a little bit of magic in there. Do you think there's any sense of misdirection in Double Dare and that it's very sloppy and there's big set pieces? But in one of the interviews, you said that the real heart of the show was that it's just kids and parents having fun with each other, which you don't really get to see on TV that much. That's true. And, you know, the, the other thing was uh, we were rewarding kids uh, for things they used to get in trouble for. You know, their parents <laughs> used to say, stay messy keep your room neat. And we were giving them prizes for not doing that, number one. And then the the, Logan, the slogan on uh, Nick back in the day was the place where only kids win. So it was okay to slime your parents or pie your parents. And it was a magical time. And uh, it, it put Nickelodeon on the map. We were actually, you know, the, a huge tentpole show for Jerry Laybourne, who was the person. It was uh, Mike Klinghoffer, D. LaDuke, Bob Mittenthal, and um, Jeffrey Darby, who were responsible for putting the program on. Uh, Klinghoffer was the one for basically choosing me. And um, it's amazing how something like that can change your life. Yeah, and uh, also on Nickelodeon, while you were there, um, you had Double Dare, you had uh, uh, What Would You Do? And then there was a special that snuck out in the late 80s, I think, called Mark Summers' uh, Magical, A Mystery Magical Tour, 
which kept getting re-aired to the point that I think it was part of also everybody's childhood. How did that come about? Were you already well-established in Double Dare and, and decided to put more magic in there? Yeah, I wanted to do something magical. And to this day, one of my dearest friends is a man by the name of Stan Allen, who is just uh, the sweetest man in the world and did Magic Magazine for all those years. And we used to perform. It was a lot of times at the Palace of Mystery. Uh, Mike Caveney, uh, Stan, and I would work together uh, during the week. And Stan and I became very close. And we wrote that thing together and produced it together. Why they gave us that opportunity, I have no idea. And he was very close with uh, Lance at the time. And we got Lance Burton to do it. We got uh, Tina to do it as well. And uh, I still have people come up and talk to me about that thing. And they thought about airing it last year, and then they looked at it and said it was dated. I totally disagree with them. I think that show would play today no matter what. Uh, uh, but they chose not to do it. But that, I would, I'm really very, very proud still to this day uh, with that show. Well, you know what? We should probably uh, hear from other people just to make sure that that is true. Because we have Stan Allen in the house, and we have Lance Burden in the house. Mark, how are you? <laughs> Good. Are you I'm in, in, I'm in Las Vegas, and that 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 uh, mystery magical tour. You know, they ran that every Halloween for at least ten years. That was a per perennial yep, Halloween thing. And the and the other thing that I remember of that show is the guy that did the music. If you look on the credits. It, it was the guy that did the music for that was listed as Mark Darkly and the Flaming Hypnotist. <laughs> yes, but tell everybody, yeah, who, tell it everybody really who it really was. It was Dweezil Zappa. I ran into Dweezil a year or two ago and, and, and we reminisced about that. But yeah, Dweezil Zappa didn't want to use his name on it. So he was Mark Darkly, which is amazing. Stan, t tell Harrison the story about when um, uh, Lance... We needed him for another shot, and his uh, his agent was a whore and and wouldn't bring him back. He wanted to charge us another $10,000. So tell the world what we did here. Well, well before Stan tells that story, I'm going to play a clip so that there is some context for people watching at home. Uh, and okay. Stan will tell us what is going on in this clip. You're right. We've got to find a door out of this place. Well, why don't we ask him? Oh. Excuse me. Can you help us? There we go. So there's a, a long shot in the distance of Lance. Before, before Stan tells this story, I just have yeah. to say, in what? my defense, <laughs> we were we were there shooting, and we we shot for one day or two days. I can't remember. I would, but I was there. I was there. I think we. I think I was there two days, and we shot. I don't remember 10, 12, 14 hours a day, whatever. And yep. we were we were we were all working. Everything was great. We were all doing great. And and they said, "Oh, here's your last shot." And okay, Lance, you're done. And I'm going great. I'm looking at my okay. I'm going to pack up. I got to get back to Las Vegas. I got a show tomorrow night. And I pack up and and I put everything in the in the van. And just as I'm getting ready to get in the van, they go, "Oh, uh, by the way, we we want you to come back tomorrow." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so so then I you know then my my manager got involved and it was. And, 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 and I felt, I felt horrible having to leave. And I honestly, I will say this, if I had it to do over again, if I, if, if I, if I had a time machine, I could go back in time. I would have, I would have done anything in my, I would have, I would have just told my manager, you know, Hey, just go away for a couple of days. I'm just going to stay. Well, so I appreciate that, but the story that Stan's about to tell is a much better story. But it's a better story. <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> 
To Lance's credit, the scum bucket, to Lance's credit, <laughs> uh, we did negotiate with them and they wanted a whole bunch of money. And contrary to what people think, that show, those shows did not have a whole bunch of money. And so no. I walked Lance out to his van at the Magic Castle. And Lance did feel bad. And he said, what should I do? What should I do? And I said, well, are you going to keep this management? And Lance said, yes, I am. They're really working well for me. And I said, then you got to get in the van and go back to Vegas. This is not your problem. So Lance gets in the van, goes back to Vegas. I walk back into the front door of the Magic Castle. And there sitting across the bar is Mark, Steve <laughs> Binder, your co-executive producer, Binder, right? yeah. the director of the show. Uh, and the guy who did the hair and the makeup for the show, very flamboyant and terrific at that and everything. And they're all looking at me and they're saying, oh yeah, yeah, uh-huh, I yeah. And they look at the makeup guy and he goes, no, I can do this. You know, and I'm standing there doing one of these. What? 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 Well, they had already decided I was going to be Lance Burton in this shot. And then a PA comes over to me and starts measuring me and everything else. And the next day a tuxedo arrives. And um, and so I think it was one of the last shots we did. I think they were holding the door and we did that shot. And I never told Lance. Oh, you never told him? No, no. no. I'll, no, tell, no. I'll tell you what happened. No, no. I, I tell no, you. No, no. you had your chance. You apologize. It's okay. <laughs> you shut up now. And you're not a headliner anymore, buddy. I can tell you to shut up. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and you know, we do the spot. Why couldn't we get back? <laughs> no. So, so the, the show airs. If you'll remember, Mark, we were in the editing room. That show went to Nickelodeon like on Thursday and it aired on Saturday. I mean, it was, I didn't yeah. know television was that tight. And I guess it isn't normally. normally. And the show airs on Saturday night and literally, 30 seconds after the show airs, my phone rings and it's Lance. And he goes, oh, I loved it. It was great. It was great. And see, you didn't need me to stick. I, you didn't need that extra shot. You worked It was great. He didn't know, you didn't know Lance? Lance? Just waiting for him to get his foot firmly into his mouth. <laughs> and I said, Lance, we used, we did use another shot. It's me playing you. And Lance goes, no, no. Oh, no. And he on me. Bam. And then i was sort of figuring how far into the show is that? It's about six minutes into the show. And sure enough, six minutes and 20 seconds later, my phone rings again. You've got to be kidding me. You <laughs> <laughs> idiot. For those who are concerned that Sam doesn't look like Lance, here's uh, some photographic evidence from a more recent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not at all. It was a costume party at Magic Live. And I thought about it. And I called my buddy Lance and said, Hey, if I want to be you at this party, what do I need? And he says, you need to come over and I'll give you a bunch of clothes. <laughs> so that's all Lance's stuff. Yeah. And I went as Stan Spurton. That's right. <laughs> was it, and, wasn't your agent Mark Gervitz at the time? Wasn't yes. he the guy? Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he went on to make bazillions of dollars, but, uh, you know, and he handled you well, but, uh, I was not happy for the moment, but this is a much better story. <laughs> really, while, while Stan was playing Lance, Lance was playing Mark's hands. So I'm going to roll this clip um, where uh, Mark has unbelievable dexterity. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
You know, you know what I remember from that? What's I remember that? we took two hours to have Mark lean up against the sliding bookcase and then fall in. We set up the yeah. shot over and over, and it took two freaking hours to get that shot. And now here yeah. we are on the next day, clock's starting to tick away, and they start that sequence, and the producer and the director and everybody, they, they yell, cut, and they, we can see the guy behind there. And I said, yeah, it's okay. No, 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 we can't do this. We're going to cut this thing. We're going to take it out. And I'm going, hang on a second here. We need this scene to get to hang up. Help me here. And the art, the the lighting director Simon somebody stepped up and said, "Yeah, hey, if you'll give us fifteen minutes, we'll make this shot work." And the director said, "You got five minutes." And the the lighting guy didn't back down. He says, "You give me fifteen minutes, I'll give you something you can use." And so the producer kind of goes, well, "Fine, give us. You got fifteen minutes, make it work." And the producer walks away. And the lighting guy turns to me and says. Can we make this work? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Now, and and it worked fine. Well, that was that was a, not to be a, you know playing words here, but that was a magical time, and certainly that special did air for like ten years. Oh, more. And, uh, I you know more than that. Oh yeah, because somebody called me up from the castle and said, "After is looking for you." Really? And I said, they never proved those charges. They can't possibly be looking for me. <laughs> and, and, and they were looking for Tom Mullica and me. So I called Tom and said, hey, Afters looking for us. They got some money. And Tom later said, yeah, it was like 75 bucks or something. And Afters sent me like $2,000 in residuals because I was in that scene and I was in the final scene or a couple other scenes or something like that. But no. Yeah, they had changed the ruling on it, and I was old residual. So I think they should air it again, Mark. We should start airing that now. Lance, don't you agree? I think so. Yeah, they got their money's worked out of that show for sure. Yeah. But hey, by the way, Stan, if you got $2,000, that's more than we got as exec producers. So you did better oh, than God, me. Yes. I, I remember Mark hired me. Well, Mark said he was going to do a magic special. And I said, so Here we go. What you I, don't going to dump on me. I just well, what you don't want to do is just a parade of magicians, one after the other, and you introducing them. That just sucks. There's nothing to it. If you're going to do a special, be more creative. Well, what an idiot I was, because the next thing I know, I'm hired to book the talent. So I make one call to Lance, get him, make one call to Tina, get her, and I come back and say, okay, I'm done. Get in this room, and he walks in the room, and he basically locked the door, and he says, great, we have to write a story. You're the one who wanted to write a story. <laughs> so I sat typing on my computer and Mark talked on the cell phone to everybody he knew in the world. And then yeah. he would get off and I'd say, what do you think of this? And he said, I hate it. What if we changed it to this? And we did it that way. And, uh, and it was just, it was, it was more of that just, yeah, rent some lights, get some people. We're going to do a magic special. And uh, it was fun. It was yeah, we got Lance just before he exploded because we couldn't have afforded him a week later. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really sure we could afford him then. Do you, remember, though, do you remember you wouldn't fly to Vegas to That's meet right. Lance? And he said, I'm not going to get on one of those little tiny planes to go to Vegas. That's right. Planes, they've got jets. Okay, fine. So Mark says, I'll pick you up at the airport. Right. The guy I'm right working with, I'll ride with you. And we drove up to Vegas. We met with Lance, we turned around and we drove back home, but stopped off somewhere so Mark could lose some, yeah. uh, on some tables. 
Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it was yeah, it's crazy. Just and crazy. And we had uh Aston. What's his name? John John, John Aston. Yeah. Yeah, John Aston. Yeah, he did a cameo in it for us. And you and you were in it, Stan. I am in it. Yeah. With the gas can. I have I have a clip. If uh, I, I don't think you're gonna get any residuals from me airing it on this show. <laughs> I will do my best, Stan. Here we go. How'd that happen? It's all a trick. Hey buddy. Yeah. Just ran out of gas. Is there a phone in there I can use? Help yourself. <laughs> Your name does come up immediately after you on the screen, so you can't ask for uh, a better cameo than that. Do you remember the fight scene when uh, Dr. The sword Jeff, fight? The sword yep. fight. And it was a Nickelodeon special, and it was like a 60-foot bar, and we had a steady cam on it, and we couldn't show the bar. Oh, and we had to shoot it from two angles and come down into the thing, and then yeah. and then come into the thing in the sword fight, and the whole thing uh, was the sword fight. The sword fighting guy's right here. Here he is. <laughs> yeah, there he is, Doctor Death. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Wow. Right. They just they you couldn't you couldn't. Hey, Lance, I have a question for you. Yes, You'll sir, Mark. Um. Where's all the Senor Wences stuff now that uh, poor uh, Norm is gone? Uh, that is a good question. Lupe and Norm had Senor Wences's whole act and mm -hmm. uh, all the figures and everything over at the house. I saw it, and uh, I I think they may have sold it to a private collector. Um, but I had Copperfield didn't get it. What's that? <laughs> David Copperfield didn't get it. He may have. I can't remember now, but I. I had, you know, I had dinner with Senior Wences when he was 100 years old. Oh, my God. That must have been amazing. Yes. He was in Las Vegas, him and his wife, and uh, Roger Ray, uh, who, who was a friend of mine, who was a, a, a comic, played the xylophone. They had, oh, a, they had dinner, and they invited me over to the house, and, and it was great because, I, uh, you know, to, to hang out with Senior Wences, and we're talking – and Roger Ray says something about Edgar Bergen. Now, remember, Senior Wences is 100 years old, and Roger Ray mentions the name Edgar Bergen. And Senior Wences' wife leans across the table and, whis and whispers, don't mention Bergen in front of Wences. <laughs> <laughs> Bergen tried to kill Wences in 1936. <laughs> Seriously? Yes. I'm oh, my God. That's amazing. You know, you remember those dinners? And when I became a regular at the castle and Peter was being nice enough to, uh, you know, get me in that place, he was having a birthday and he invited me to a dinner. It was Bill and Irene Larson, Siegfried and Roy, and Tony Slidini. Okay. Oh, wow. And I'm sitting there in awe going, why am I even sitting here? I'm like 22 you years old. You weren't uh, singing oh. which one of these is not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, believe me. But, you know, and I'm sitting there talking to Tony Slidini and I was at, you know, he was talking to me about giving private lessons in New York. And it, it just was one of those magical, truly magical evenings. Uh, and at the castle, remember, Cary Grant was uh, on the board of directors. And the first night that I worked at Palace of Mystery with, with Marvin Roy, I thought I had died and gone to heaven because the first time I saw him was at Radio City Music Hall when I was 15 years old when he was doing the Christmas show. And, you know, to meet your heroes and actually get to work with them was just, you know, one of those fantastic experiences. Yeah.
And Lance, Lance popped in last minute as a, a special extra surprise. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I have a couple extra stories to get out of Stan. Um, but before right. we let you go, um, as you were saying before, you kind of got Lance right before his big explosion. If somebody's a young magician who's watching, what, what were the qualities that he had that made you want to put him on that on that special? Me? His uniqueness. Uh, and, and, and as far as my opinion, he, he was unique at the time. Uh, I think he had just done Johnny. He had done... Uh, uh, the thing for the Larsons uh, down at the Wilshire, Wilshire, Wilshire Ebel, I can't even say it. Um, you know, he didn't follow the crowd. You know, there were a lot of, quote, bird acts, but uh, it was the music, it was the attitude, uh, and it was the execution. I mean, uh, uh, nobody did that act, that kind of act better than Lance. I mean, I, I never saw all the other folks uh, that, that I know will be compared, but to me, Lance, by far the best. Uh, Mark, thank you very much. And it was a pleasure working with you and Stan uh, all those years ago. Mark and I worked. We've we've worked together many times since then. We did the we did the uh, restaurant impossible, uh, yes. and then and I was on your talk show. Uh, yes. back, I forget what network that was on, but it was uh, uh, twenty years ago or so. So we, we we have a long history. I love I love both of you guys. And before I go, I just want to say. Uh, We'll be right back with more Double Dare after this. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Lance. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, Lance Burton, everybody. Oh, my God. I love him. He is, uh, he's just the best. Um, you know, I, met, I met Lance uh, doing uh, – Chuck Jones had a tour of Canada, and Lance was on it, and Terry Seabrook, and myself. And, um, it was 2,500-seat theater. And I remember going into the back of the theater – and swearing Lance was staring right at me. He was so intense and he never looked at his steels or anything. He always just kept eye contact with the people and pulled those things. And he had this makeup that made it, you know, he, yeah, he had impact. You watched the show and you went away going, wow, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. some people on stage are magicians and then some people are full on wizards. And those are the special ones where you believe magic can actually happen in their hands. And Lance always, always had that. Oh, sure. uh, and speaking of performing uh, on stage, um, I have a picture here. Uh, Stan, tell me who the, the, the lady is in this photograph with Mark. That is my daughter, Katie, who has a somewhat checkered past with Mark Summers. <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe we should just leave it there. <laughs> well, no, I know for her 21st birthday, something really special happened. It did. But before her 21st birthday, Ron and I, Mark and I have been friends forever, but it's one of those friendships. We don't talk for like three months or something like that. And then bam, we're right back together again. And we had been trying to get a little barbecue and it had been put off. I don't know how many years that barbecue was planned, but we ended up out at Mark's house, Alice, the best. And we're sitting there and Mark hands us a copy of People magazine. And it had the OCD story in it, which I didn't know anything about. And I'm Mark, Rhonda and I are reading this with our jaws on the floor. And the guy who gets slimed all the time has OCD and has to have everything. How could this possibly be? Meanwhile, my daughter and his daughter, which by the way, she was older. So I'm going to, that's in a court of law. They're upstairs coloring off the paper onto the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's house that I'm reading, holy shit. And I think there's something in the book, your book about that or something like that. But that's my daughter, Katie. Yeah, yeah I think there is. 
Yeah, I went up there and got the carpet to cleaner and started cleaning the carpet. My wife was screaming at me because uh, she always used to get upset when somebody would come by the house and uh, if they would put a mark on the wall, I would fix it immediately. And your daughter was a, a part of that of that part of my life. You know, uh, I, my my wife is that way, and we always used to joke that we were going to get Mark and my wife matching holsters for their dustbusters so they could just have it right there, <laughs> pull it out. And, and the thing, but no, uh, Katie was turning 21 and she surprised me and said, I'd love to do that at the Magic Castle. And then uh, my wife suggested I work a week. I hadn't worked a week in a dozen years probably or something. And uh, I happened to mention to Mark and Mark said he wanted to do it. And I said, no, because I knew he's crazy. He, he, he fills his plate with so much stuff. He, he <laughs> doesn't understand the word retirement. And, and I said, no. No, because you'll cancel at the very last minute because you've got this mega deal going and I can't blame you, but this is my world. I live. And he goes, no, no, I will not cancel. I will not cancel. And I, okay, fine. We booked Mark Summers. And he didn't can. Not only that, he, he just hit it out of the park because, you know, all the, all the young couples at the castle, the 40-year-olds, what we refer to as the hard bodies, they all grew up with this man. And when we introduced him to begin the show, because I made him host, he wanted to do it. So I said, screw it. I don't want to host. So I made him host. <laughs> and, uh, and people freaked out. They would, when we'd say, here's Mark Summers, somebody in the audience would yell, no way, no way. And, and he is fearless because he would say, I need to borrow a lady from the audience. And everybody would go, Susie, Susie, Susie. <laughs> you don't mess with Susie now. I'm not going to bring Susie up here. And Mark would go, well, sure, Susie, come on up. up. I'm going, no. And it always works out. You but know? See, the real story, Arizona, is this. The real reason we work the castle is not to do magic. We play right. backgammon backstage. Okay? And back what I the, heard. <laughs> when I first started uh, and I was making the whopping 145 bucks a week, I would lose that and then another $100 because Stan had this streak. In fact, once – we went. I got called to do a a, um, a TV show up in San Francisco, and Stan and I took a plane up. We played backgammon. I think for seventy two hours straight. We on the plane up, we played at the hotel. We played at dinner. We played. We just played backgammon. And the way Stan made a lot of money, he used to work cruise ships all the time. He didn't make money doing magic. He would play these old guys uh, who thought they knew how to play backgammon. He was like a sharp, and he would go in there and turn that cube and make thousands of dollars. But one time, I'm on stage introducing Mark. <laughs> And I'm about to get to his name, and I hear Mark say, stall, stall. <laughs> Mark Dacht was a deck of cards and a three-and-a-half, a jumbo three-and-a-half of clothes. And I, By the way, he closed that, that set that I showed the intro. That is the closer of that set. Back in that the game. only thing he knows how to do. Yep. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, how can you not be ready with just a deck of cards and a three-and-a-half of clubs? <laughs> How do you, what do you need to stall? What's gone wrong? So I mosey over to the side of the stage and I kind of listen and I hear dice rolling because he's playing That's right. the manager. And then I hear the usual ending. Ah, oh, crap. He throws the thing down <laughs> and he sticks his head out and says, okay, I'm ready now. Gee. Yeah, who's our stage manager I used to play with all the time? Ron Suma. Oh, Ron Suma. Yeah, Ron Suma. Yeah, Ron oh, made a fortune backstage. Well, he was the one. He took he took both of our monies. Yeah, and uh, he just moved to Vegas recently. So next time you're in oh, Vegas, you'll really? see Ron. Yeah, he became he good. became a major booking uh, guy, like uh, major movies. 
He was the really? tech. Yeah. Yeah. Annoyed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Stan, you were telling me before that there was a backgammon uh, trip involving a plane. Well, that was it. It was Mark. He was doing uh, like a good morning San Francisco or something. And they gave him two tickets yeah. to fly him up. And he says, yeah, Alice doesn't want to go. You want to go to? Yeah, we'll play backgammon. So we went for a weekend to just play backgammon. So uh, yeah, Alice and I have been married 46 years, but the line is always, uh, I'm only home for 14 of them. That's why it works, you know? So uh, well, that, that and the fact that she's a saint. Well, that too. That too. Well, but, I remember uh, at one point he was telling me about his travel schedule, and I, I don't think I was married yet. And and I said, um, hey, does what does Alice think of me? And Mark says, well, you're one of the magicians she actually likes. No, I know, but do you think there's more there? Possibly <laughs> some romantic uh, attraction. Mark says, what the frick are you talking about? I said, well, look, you're going to bury yourself within the next year or two with all the work schedule. I think somebody should get in there and marry Alice and spend some of your money. I, oh I, I, I call Stan and tell him how I'm not going to work anymore and how I'm going to retire. He just laughs at me. So, uh. oh. Yeah. Right. Well, you're now you were in you were in Los Angeles and Philly going back and forth, but now you're in LA full time, right? I actually live in Santa Barbara now, so oh. I, I am. Yeah, I gave up the place in LA, and I'm uh, full time in Santa Barbara. He's Dan. He's getting closer. Yep. Yeah. I am. <laughs> I am. He doesn't, Dan, he doesn't. I don't know. He doesn't know how to stop. So he does. He does everything. And he jumps in full, all the feet. You know, inside there. Yeah. So it's been fun. Uh, well, Stan, thank you so much for joining. Is there any uh, other words? You've known Mark for so long. Uh, any other things that uh, stand out to you? Uh, <laughs> well, let's see. No, nothing. Got no <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Tell some Bob Dorian stories, but let's not do that right now. Oh, let's not do that. And uh, we did manage to put you in a backstage illusion for a whole week. And uh, I have a photo of that as well. You and Joseph Gabriel, and, uh, eventually Mark yeah. is going to come out of his box. And that's Joseph, Joseph Gabriel there. The amazing part of that to me was this started as an unwrapped. And uh, Mark was going to unwrap a magic trick. So we had Mark's image on the uh, monitor to the side. And then at a certain point in the trick, Mark vanishes off the monitor and he appears in the box and the audience was like flabbergasted. It is a, you know, it's a video, you know, <laughs> which by the way, your son, Steve edited, I think. Right. So it was a whole family affair. We did. We, we, uh, yeah. What's good having kids if you just can't use them. You know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> hey, Mark, uh, great to see you. Uh, you know, best of you. Stan, thank you so much, man. My pleasure. Take care guys. Bye -bye. Stan Allen, everybody. And by the way, we mentioned Mark's book. I want to put that information on the screen. Everything in its place, My Trials and Triumphs with Obsessive Compulsive Disorder by Mark Summers. Available, I think, at all major booksellers. So make sure you pick up a copy. Um, uh, we can get into that a little bit, which is, it is a surprising fact to some people um, that it's a very messy show, Double Dare, but you are secretly battling OCD. And I know uh, I watched a couple of Oprah clips um, where you, you didn't mention that you got a little bit more control over it. But what, what was that like? Well, you know, I had been diagnosed at that point. I had done uh, Double Dare from 86 to 94. And it wasn't until I was doing my talk show on Lifetime Biggers and Summers where I got diagnosed. So although I knew something was strange, uh, I couldn't put my finger on it. I knew I didn't like getting messy and didn't like, uh, you know, the slime on me and stuff like that. But I had waited so long. I was 34 when I got that show that 
you know, if they told me they were going to dump, a, you know, a ton of elephant poop <laughs> on me, I would have done it because I, my passion was to be a host of a television show. So, I'm um, so you're I saying this is, you know, I, is that is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the thing was, you know, um, I people say, you know, I hated doing it. No, I love doing it. And uh, I never had a bad day on the set in my entire life. But after being diagnosed, things started to make sense. So, um, you know, I learned to control it. And, and for a while, I was on medication, have been on medication for 10 years now. But uh, I went through a thing called behavior therapy, where you retrain yourself and stuff like that. And then I've done uh, interventions for uh, kids and various people along the way, still do, as a matter of fact. So, um, you know, it's like anything else. I think until you're ready to get quote, better. I mean, it's like, I guess, taking drugs and everything drugs or doing alcohol. Uh, you're not ready to get better until you're ready to get better. And then when you are, maybe you can correct uh, the problem. And, and when I was ready, I was in my early 40s and said, I don't want to live this life anymore and was able to fix it. Thank goodness. No, it's amazing. And I and and uh, a testament too, because you've used your story to inspire others, which I think is always an amazing thing to do. Uh, uh, one of the things, by the way, is that we are uh, at eight o'clock. So please put your questions in the comments on YouTube or Facebook, also on Instagram, so that Mark can uh, see them and answer them. Uh, one of the things that keeps coming up, it's come up from multiple people. The most recent one was from Michael Healy, who said, tell the story about Burt Reynolds and you on The Tonight Show. Um, I know you've told the story before a couple of times, but I don't know if you've mentioned the magic component to it. I think there was a magic trick uh, underlying this entire thing. There was. So um, I wanted to get on the Tonight Show. At the time, I was hosting four different television programs, and I had a publicist who uh, managed to get me to meet the right people, and they booked me. Well, for a year, I was booked and then unbooked and booked and unbooked. And, and uh, you know, I'd get the phone call, oh, you know, so-and-so's coming on tonight, but we're going to reschedule you. So I stopped telling people I was going to do the Tonight Show because nobody believed me. So I finally get booked, and it says, uh, you're doing the show tomorrow night, and Burt Reynolds is the guest. I went, okay, fine. So um, on the way, I get picked up by the, uh, you know, NBC limo. And on the way there, the car gets a flat tire. So I figured, oh, you know, I'm just not meant to do this program. So I barely get into the studio on time. And just before he goes on stage, Jay comes to the dressing room. Yeah, I apologize. I heard you had a flat tire. So, you know, did that whole thing. And Bert was going through a very stressful book tour. He was going through the device, uh, the uh, divorce, rather, with uh, Lonnie Anderson. And he was not in a good mood. And um, the night before... Jay had just bashed him on, on the air with all sorts of stuff. Uh, I was asked to do a magic trick uh, for some reason. I wanted to do a card trick, but they said Jay didn't know spades from hearts from clubs. He called clubs puppy dog tails and things like that. So you, you can't do a card trick. So what a weird, I was gonna what do a weird weakness. <laughs> I know. And, uh, and so Stan Allen created and taught me how to do the cut and restore tie. And so I was going to do the cut and restore tie. That's a good friends forever. And so at the beginning of the show, uh, Bert was so upset with what Jay had said the night before that he came out and cut off Jay's tie. Well, for the love of God, I mean, for those in the magic world, now I'm screwed because I have a duplicate tie and uh, what are we going to do and all this other kind of stuff. So I'm backstage trying to figure out how we're going to fix that thing. And so Bert was supposed to do two segments. Then I was supposed to be on the third. And then Carrot Top was supposed to be the fourth guy. Well, Bert went three segments. And so there was only one more person. And uh, it was going to be me or your kid. You know, nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew who Carrot Top was. And so they were going to go with Carrot Top. And my publicist went backstage and said, and this is how show business works. He also handled Jason Alexander. And the Tonight Show wanted Jason as a regular. And they were going to bump me again. And my publicist said, if you bump Summers one more time, Jason Alexander will never do the Tonight Show again. So they went, oh, my God. 
and they bumped uh, Carrot Top and they put me on. Well, it could have been the best or the worst thing that ever happened because uh, Bert and I got into somewhat of a, a disagreement. I was uh, talking to Jay and and he said, uh, you know, all I see is a back. And uh, I said, no, I can talk to you. And and uh, I was talking about being a neatness fanatic. And I hadn't been diagnosed then yet uh, with OCD. And he said, who says you're a neatness fanatic? And I said, my wife. And by the way, I'm still married. The audience went, oh. And then he poured water right on my crotch. And I reciprocated. And the next thing I know, two pies come out. And uh, we have a pie fight. And uh, NBC uh, executives came out afterwards. They thought I was hurt. They, you know, we'll buy you a new suit. I and mean, there was all sorts of craziness. And at the time, Jay had not beaten Dave. Dave was number one. Ah. And they got those promos out so quick. I was in the car at like, you know, 6.35. By the time I got home, my phone started to ring. And uh, it was the first night that Jay tied uh, the tonight or uh, Letterman. And uh, it just exploded from there. And to this day, I was 1994. I, I get asked about it all the time. And by the way, I get good residuals. That thing still shows across the world, you know, <laughs> biggest fights on television or whatever. And people Is it more it was or less than $2,000? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Where's, Where, about where's my cut? Set? Where's my cut in this thing? You know? I'll cut you a tie again. But yeah. uh, I, uh, you know, it was not set up. It was all for real. And uh, Jay called me the next day and goes, yeah, well, what's going on with you guys? And I said, you know, <laughs> I, I was a comic. I was like, he was a heckler and I was waiting yeah. for the life i wasn't gonna let him get in the way you know and then so the next day i was at steve binder's house and steve knew um his publicist bert's publicist and uh bert's publicist called me a bottom feeder of show business and said that i didn't treat the movie star with any uh dignity or respect and you know when, when bert died everybody called and wanted me to talk horrible things about him you know here's the thing that was sad about bert you know he had to put on these five inch lifts and a wig uh to become that character and he was the number one box office star in the world for five years, and he died broke. So I felt sorry for him more than anything else. I just think he was an angry man in a lot of different ways, and I happen to know other things that I'm not going to talk about right now. But, um, yeah, uh, unusual guy. And, Stan, what's your experience? Because you weren't in the studio. Well, a little bit of echo from somebody. Um, that's okay. Um, no. But, Stan, uh, you, you called him. You were talking about the tie trick, and then – well, yeah, I was living in trick, and then you watch it, and I was living in Vegas. I don't know if you know this, Mark. I didn't stay up to watch you. You know, I love you, but I'm not going to stay up to watch Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> especially Butcher. Your friendship ends at 11 p.m., Mark. Yeah. Anyway, so. so the next morning, but I set the machine. Come on, buddy. I did set the machine for you. And the next morning, you know, Comb and Katie's here. We're getting stuff ready. And I said, hey. Mark was on the thing. He's going to do a cut and restart tie. I want to see how it goes. So I turned, you know, VHS tape, pop, you got it in there. And I fast forward all through the Burt Reynolds. So I don't know anything. All <laughs> oh. I see is Mark come out, never goes to cut the tie, and he gets in a pie fight with Burt. And I'm saying, what happened? <laughs> and it was just, God, that's the weirdest cut and restart tie. And the shame of it is, <laughs> if that had been Johnny Carson, I think the producers would have said, yeah, just wear the little snub of a tie. And Mark could have gone out there and said, you you want me to fix that for you? And yeah. then record it. But Jay wanted to be a straight up miracle. And also Jay wouldn't get in the pie fight. And I think if that had been Carson, he would have stood between you guys at the end 
and you both would have unloaded on Carson, and one of you would have stepped up and said, "We'll be right back." And, no and it was great they didn't have that sense to know when to do that. Yeah. And Carson was also a magician, so I think he would have uh, definitely known to keep the tie on. Absolutely. Fun story, though. Fun, fun. Stan, thank you so much for coming back for that uh, extra story from the audience. Uh, Stan, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, make sure you uh, follow Magic Live. I'm sure it's coming back soon. Um, and uh, make sure you support that. It's an incredible convention, and Stan always does an incredible job. Um, also, speaking of projects, yes. somebody asked, what is the status of the On Your Mark documentary? Will it be available to stream or uh, on DVD? As a matter of fact, we're in negotiations right now. I just got the contract this morning, and my agent is looking at it, and I just sent it back right before I came on here. So uh, in a perfect world, it'll be on in October. We're keeping our fingers crossed. That's, I wonder if uh, BifloFan386 is your agent, and it's just trying to promote it. <laughs> that would be the perfect plan. That's pretty funny. Uh, we are coming towards the end. Um, the Two more things. Uh, one is a, a final question and then a favor. Um, but the uh, the final question that I ask uh, every guest that I have on the show, uh, because there are uh, magicians who are watching this, young magicians who are just starting out, what advice would you give to a young magician or a young performer, uh, something you wish you knew or just something that you think would be helpful on their journey uh, in the entertainment industry? Two things. Number one, um, get on stage any way, anywhere you can. The more stage time you have. If I would have had the audition for Double Dare when I was 23, I would have never been able to pull it off. But um, I was ready at age 33. I had been on every stage and had every experience. And so stage time is key. And here's the other thing, and I talk about this in my one man show. You can't ever accept the word no. People throughout my career told me I sucked, that I had no talent, that I would never make it, uh, on and on and on. And I just sort of laughed and moved on because I figured they'd get fired and I'd move forward. And it did take me longer than I expected. Yeah, there we go, uh, integral part of my life. Um, sooner or later, uh, Gary Collins, a friend of mine from our magazine days, passed away recently, uh, said, unless you're the unluckiest human in the world, if you just stay at it, chances are you're going to be successful. And that's it. You know, it doesn't come quickly. Uh, I moved to L.A. in 1973. Double Dare happened in 86. So it took 13 years. But I did a lot of work to get there. And then when the opportunity opened up, I was ready. Yeah, somebody in the comments mentioned a quote. Here it is from Mark Summers in the SYM newsletter, which said, becoming famous takes 70% luck and 30% skill. To remain famous takes 70% skill and 30% luck. Do you still feel the same way about that? Very true. It's pretty great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we used to say that at the comedy store all the time, you know. And and the talent does take over after you've established yourself because luck won't carry it through unless you have something to back it up. I had an agent once who said uh, one good thing and only one good thing, that most people build their careers as an upside-down pyramid and then it falls over. But if you build it with a solid base, you'll be around for a long time. And, you know, I've been doing this, you know, professionally now for over 40 years. No, it's amazing. And I said the final thing would be a favor. I, I have never been on Double Dare. I, I used to go to Universal. I even went to the uh, the American Dream Mall where they are they are sliming people. And if you would uh, be uh, give me the honor, uh, I would love to end this show by getting slimed on your countdown. Uh, let's see if we can do it. Uh, I have <laughs> Alexa, turn on Double Dare. There we go. We got some lighting for it. Uh, I'm wearing a bathing suit. Let me lower this. You're crazy. All right. So here we go. This is uh, hopefully going to work. I mixed it with applesauce, oatmeal, and vanilla pudding, which I believe is the original oh. recipe. Um, and that if you want to count me down, uh, this is my lovely and real girlfriend, Emily, who has been waiting Emily. to do this, I think, all quarantine. True. 
So uh, it's all on you now. Here we go, Emily, on your mark, get set, slime. Oh. <laughs> that is not how I expected it at all. But <laughs> it's delicious. Thank you so, so much, Mark Summers. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I will have to eventually walk over to the computer in order to end this show. So I will do it very carefully. Thank you. <laughs> I look like the Phantom of the Ooze. Mark, thank you so, so much for joining us uh, on Who Books That. I really, really appreciate it. If they want to follow you online, uh, they can go on Twitter or Instagram. It's real Mark Summers. Mark, thank you so yeah. much for this. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, stay safe and stay well. You did a great job. I appreciate all the homework you did. And uh, you stay safe as well, Ed, as well, sir. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon. You'd be well. Absolutely. Thanks so much, man. Mark Summers, everybody. That's Mark Summers. I uh, have been very slimed. Oh, boy, that's never coming out. Uh, thanks so much for watching. My name uh, is Harrison Greenbaum. This has been Who Books That? Tune in on Wednesday, this Wednesday, when we interview Jay Johnson. He's part of the Left Handed League. Uh, he is an incredible ventriloquist, the only ventriloquist to ever win a Tony Award on Broadway. He is here. He has uh, some incredible ideas about magic. I know you're going to want to hear them. Uh, so make sure you tune in. Make sure you join the IBM. Uh, I'm going to clean my hand so I can click a mouse and make things appear because I do produce the show at the same time as I host it. Um, if you'd like to follow me online, it's at Harrison Comedy. I'd like to join the IBM. It's magician.org slash join the IBM with dashes in between the join the and IBM slash join. Um, this show is uh, going to be on Wednesday, 7 p.m. Uh, if you're on the East Coast, 4 p.m. If you're on the West Coast, a huge thank you to everybody uh, who was on the show. We had Chet Cubit. We had uh, Stan Allen and Lance Burton, a special guest. And of course, a huge and gigantic thank you to Mark Summers, uh, such an incredible person. Uh, so, uh, so amazing to be able to hang out with him uh, for this hour and change. Thank you so much for watching. This has been Who Books That? And we'll see you soon. We'll see you on Wednesday. Cue the animation. Who books that with Harrison Greenbaum? Watching it, singing it, it's a show. Sponsored by IBM. Slime!